0: This show was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic, but still contains timeless wisdom. We hope you will enjoy.
1: There is an inherent pressure when you take over a program like this. At the same time, that's part of what I wanted. You know, I always aspired to be a head coach uh, in the Southeastern Conference, and you know, being at Auburn, I, I want to test myself against the very best coaches and programs in the country, and. I realize the expectations here, but I know my own expectations are very similar to that. So you wanna test yourself against the best, and and I wanna put myself in a situation where it's been proven you can win, I feel like we can win, and I wanna go out and test myself on a daily basis. That's just in my character and who I am. So uh, there's, there's a lot to live up to. At the same time, I'm not sure I would have it any other way.
2: Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast, where your hosts Kelly Palace and Maria Parker share with you what it takes to be a champion. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds Masters world and national swimming records, and Maria holds world records in endurance cycling, and was the overall women's winner of the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. They'll be sharing their personal stories and wisdom, along with interviewing other champions to give you the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace.
0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast, where today we'll be talking about championship character with Gary Taylor, the head men's and women's swimming coach at Auburn University. Gary is only in his second year at Auburn and looking to return this program to the top of the NCAA. Auburn has a storied history of winning 13 NCAA team titles, and Gary Taylor is the perfect person for this job. He knows a thing or two about winning, paying his dues, and patience. Before we talk with Gary, I want to say hello to my co-host, Maria Parker. Hello,
3: Maria. Hey, Kelly. I loved the interview with Gary. It's so impressive that prior to landing the Auburn job, Gary put in 10 very successful years as associate head coach and assistant coach positions at two powerhouse division one teams, six years at NC state and four years at Florida state. Gary looks too young to believe this, but prior to the 10 years in division one, he coached at the club level for nine more years for a total of 19 years of coaching experience. This is a patient man, that probably could have had many head jobs before Auburn, but he waited for the perfect opportunity, and Auburn was it.
0: Thanks, Maria. And Maria, as an NC State Swimming alum, I personally watched the success that Gary brought to the NC State program, which is where I had the pleasure of getting to know him, so I'm really excited to reconnect with Gary again today.
2: And now it's time for the road trip segment.
0: Gary, great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Champions Mojo. Well,
2: thank you very much, Kelly. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. So, Gary, as the new coach at Auburn, I'm sure you are establishing your own culture there. And I've read about your idea that championship character creates championship culture. Could you expand on that for us?
1: Certainly. I think that, you know, within our programs, we're looking for outstanding students, outstanding athletes, people that get it done in the classroom, as well as the pool. And, and I really think the final piece to that is championship character. So championship character to me is really a number of different things that that come together. You're looking for people that are, uh, you know, they've got great work ethic. Uh, they're great teammates, incredibly selfless, put the team and, and Auburn University ahead of themselves, You're looking for people, uh, in my opinion, that are motivating to themselves, motivating to others. Beyond that, they're also very goal-oriented and and aspiring to be their 10 out of 10 or 11 out of 10 from a performance standpoint in and out of the water. And then finally, I think championship character is someone that really, above all else, embodies a love and respect for all of their teammates. You know, not everybody in your program is going to be a best friend. Okay, but um, ultimately, we can learn to respect and love everybody within the program, and I think that's when those teams really become uh, close knit. They come together, and and when you're and you, when you're working hard to perform for the other people around you, even more so than yourself, I think that's when you see outstanding uh, swims and performances.
0: So that culture, how? How do you feel that that's coming from the upperclassmen, the underclassmen, from you, the staff?
1: I, I think first and foremost, I think it's got to come from the staff. Um, I, I think if, if uh, you know, we, we talked a lot in the first year, or I talked to the staff a lot about sharing the vision. What is the program going to look like? What are we going to be in the future? How do we get there? What's the process? Um it, but then I, I said we've got to hold ourselves accountable. So so we are sharing the vision. I think on a regular basis with our team, it's really important and, and certainly early on that that we're more so the vision. Here is here's what the staff is going to do. Here's what we're going to be about. Now watch us uh, kind of kind of put that into place and, and work towards that on a daily basis. So I think early on it becomes very staff driven. You've got to teach the team. Uh, set the standards, the expectations high, help them rise to that, to those outcomes and, and to those expectations. I think as you recruit your own people and develop your own people within the program, then after a while, I, I think it's always kind of coach overseen. You really hope at some point though that that the athletes themselves are driving the culture, that 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 the team, the culture, the family itself can take people in and mold them into the shape that that we're that we're looking for so early on definitely I think it's driven by the staff and as time goes on your your hope is that the team evolves and that they're able to kind of take the reins on that
0: I know a lot of swimmers see you know their coaches every day and the coaches are really they are setting the standard and I know how hard he worked at NC State and and the NC State staff. And I know your staff, you got to hire all of your staff. And I, I know there probably isn't a harder working group out there in coaching than swim coaches. I just think the the hours, the doubles. So what do you and your staff or you personally do to deal with that that hard schedule? Like just like some, you know, routines or rituals or things that you do to, to make yourself perform?
1: Well I think ultimately, the expectations to me are really important. So you know with our with our student athletes, if you give them, if you give them an opportunity to feel fatigue or complain or go through the motions, I, I think they'll take that. I think as a coaching staff, you have to set the tone. we We've got to work hard. We've also got to push our athletes to reach a certain expectation that anything less than that, is going to be unacceptable and and i think you know look we're all human we all have off days however i I think if you always listen to your athletes and and they got to tell you "Well, i'm tired this this is tough or that's tough they'll lower that bar and so i think as a as a a coach it's on us to push them through those points and teach them that hey you, you know you had a tough test or you you've had a you know, you're going through something in a relationship or things are happening at home or hey, practice has just been really hard and it's getting cold outside and it's it's tougher. And uh but I think you can push a lot of your athletes through those certain points and when they see outstanding outcomes or great workouts or great performances in meets, then they start to say to themselves, hey, you know, the the you know the mind is a powerful thing. And so Um, you know, if I can push myself through this and just get my body ready, I'm able to achieve a lot more than I thought I was capable of. And, you know, I I use the statement all the time, but teaching the, you know, teaching that the impossible is possible opens the doors to a lot of great successes. And I think that's what we have to do on a, on a regular basis. Again, they are human, but, but if they're, if we allow them to rise to their, their best Expectations. I think they're 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 capable of doing great things on a, on a weekly basis.
0: Great, great. All Division One head coaches have pressure to perform. That's just the nature of it. And especially top twenty programs. How how do you personally deal with the pressure of you know having a new program and taking over a program like Auburn? Just in certainly, general.
1: Certainly. I, I think for for our program, you know, for me, at some point, I sat back and I said, you know, I, I have the awesome opportunity to, to lead the Auburn program. Yeah. At the same time, you, you've got, you know, I can't worry about shoes that I have to fill, but but I'd be lying if I said that the 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 successes and the, the championship history of the program doesn't cross my mind. I mean, on right. my end, as, as far as the head coaches that have come before me, you've got, um, you know, Eddie Reese was there in yeah. the 70s. Mm-hmm. You had uh, John Asmuth Followed by David Marsh, uh, Richard Quick. Actually, Richard was was there twice between um, between uh, John and uh, and Eddie as well. And then uh, my predecessor, Brett Hawk. I mean, those men won forty NCAA championships amongst them, uh, many at Auburn, but many elsewhere as well. So I, I'd be lying if I said that those kinds of things didn't cross my mind. And certainly, we have awesome, awesome alums and and people around the program, friends of the program that want that want to see great outcomes, that want Auburn to get back to where it, it rightfully should be. At the same time, you know, I, I've said this before, I can only be the best Gary Taylor I can be. So I have to do what I feel is best for the current program and and, and getting this group better, the staff, the team, growing our, our program and brand again. So, you know, I, I think that there is a There is an inherent pressure when you take over a program like this. At the same time, that's part of what I wanted. You know, I always aspired to be a head coach uh, in the Southeastern Conference. And, you know, being at Auburn, I want to test myself against the very best coaches and programs in the country. And I I realize the expectations here, but I know my own expectations are very similar to that. So you want to test yourself against the best. And and I want to put myself in a situation where, it's been proven you can win. I feel like we can win. And I want to go out and test myself on a daily basis. That's just in my character and who I am. So uh, there's, there's a lot to live up to. At the same time, I'm not sure I would have it any other way.
0: Yeah, I, I figure that. I mean, like I said in your intro, you could have had many head jobs. So you knew coming in, this was, this was Auburn. This was Auburn's history. That's, that's wonderful. So in general, what traits do you think champions share?
1: You know, I've got a uh, a pretty basic motto, and that is enthused to learn, eager to work, desire to win, all in for the family, all in for the Auburn family. And I think, you know, too many times as coaches, we look for all the outside the box items, and I do think that there are outside the box items that that help, but I don't think that there's any one outside the box idea that that allows for success. You know, once you do a lot of outside-the-box things or you do the same outside-the-box thing all the time, it becomes inside-the-box. So I think really it's the ability to to be coachable. As coaches, we have to coach hard, connect with our athletes, get to know them. The athletes try to do the same thing from, from their side, the, the willingness to be vulnerable and, and accepting of the uncomfortable. So being vulnerable and open to constructive criticism or making changes the willingness uh, for the student athlete to, to live in the uncomfortable and test their boundaries and then I think the the you know eagerness to work live on that hey I'm going to give 110 percent every day a desire to win to me is really just the desire to be the absolute best you can be and so those those are very basic ideas and what I've found throughout my time as a coach, it's not doing the outside the box things at this, you know, insanely high level. It's doing the basics day in, day out as good, if not better than everybody else around you and, and around the country and world. So, you know, to me, that's, that's that, you know, that, that allows for, for championship outcomes. And, you know, from one person to the next, those things can be different. I do know that I think everybody has the ability to be coachable. And I think everybody has the ability to give their best effort. Sometimes reaching your 10 out of 10 might look different than someone else, but we can all aspire to be our, our best self. And I think the ones that are most successful and really get the most out of their their bodies and their natural abilities are the ones that excel in those areas. And then, you know, we try to make the sport so individual at times, uh, but I've never been a part of a, a, a high level program that does it individually. I think the the team, and family atmosphere has to be cultivated and developed and so when we're all in for one another and I'm I'm swimming or diving for that person across the deck who means a lot to me, that's when I excel because you know I, I say it's and I say this as well it's not just it's it's not swimming for your teammates it's swimming to your utmost potential with everybody around you supporting and caring about your outcome as well so those are things that we really try to stress within our program on a daily basis.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So you have coached a lot of successful distance swimmers and and other swimmers too. But I think being a distance swimmer myself and knowing the distance swimmers that you coached at NC State, there is such a mindset that one needs when you're in those grueling, you know, 15, 18, whatever minutes of just total pain. What, what do you, what role do you think mindset plays in success? And what do you, what were you telling those swimmers that are, that are performing these crazy fast feats? Like, cause their minds are going crazy. So what, what do you,
1: I think it goes back. It's really a compilation of, of everything I've discussed. And I think the, the one thing as I've gotten into the sport, you know, 20 years of experience. Uh, number one, I know that the more I learn, the less I know. And, uh, <laughs> I think the second piece to that is the human side. The mind is just an incredibly powerful tool, and and um, you know, kind of I don't want to say weapon, but it, it's an incredibly powerful tool. And so I think whether you're a sprinter or endurance swimmer, having swag or confidence or belief that that you're going to be successful is is highly important. So I think that that's a certain that's that's a factor there and that that's regardless of event list I, I think the on the on the endurance side I before think, you go to yes. the endurance
0: can you can you develop confidence can you build swag and confidence or does that is that an innate?
1: well I, I think it's it's I think there's some of both. I don't okay. think that you know in, in my belief I've been really fortunate to coach some outstanding athletes swimmers. Right but I, I don't think that was ever all me. Uh, I'd like to think that I played a role or helped in, in their process, but sometimes the ones that, that are successful and do the things right are the easiest to coach and work with. So, you know, I, I think we're blessed as coaches to work with outstanding athletes, and I think you have the ability as their coach to to build confidence within them. And, and I think their, their willingness to be vulnerable and and uh, willing to live in the, the uncomfortable kind of takes them to that next level. So so again, that, that goes back to teaching them that the impossible is possible. So um, I, I don't think it's all coach and I don't think it's all athlete. I think that I've seen athletes that they've kind of already got that and, and you can help build upon it. And then I've seen others that don't know they have it in them and you're able to draw that out of them. And then they start to gain confidence and belief in who they are and and really take off. So I think that it's a combination of the two. And, and at the same time, I think there are some athletes that you can do everything you can and and, uh, and, and you may not reach them. You know yeah. and, and so and certainly the better more stuff they do in practice gives them confidence
0: and that's absolutely. what you know i know you're famous for some really consistency great is consistency. key yeah. absolutely so i interrupted you there but so so as far as having swag and just confidence for any distance but then you were going to go on to an endurance event
1: absolutely and i, I think the, the you know that that first piece i know we, we've got obviously diving in our program as well but Swag confidence works on so many different levels in all aspects of life, as well as swimming and diving. I think in terms of endurance swimmers, I think that, you know, I've been very fortunate to coach some talented, talented athletes, and I've seen them become very successful. I've also seen athletes that maybe weren't born with all the natural ability or tools, but my gosh, their greatest asset Was their mind, you know, the willingness to go above and beyond when other people just couldn't handle the 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 pain and fatigue, and I think that that's something that uh, on the endurance end, and and I don't mean to belittle the sprint side of it, but when you dive in for a fifty, you're not going to feel the pain like you would the back, you know, one thousand of a mile or back eight hundred of a mile. It's a different mentality for sure, and I think that talent's great. But I've also seen mindsets and and just a a mental toughness uh, overcome talent as well when talent doesn't do the the work necessary. So, you know, for me, I think that's kind of a a trait and and really kind of a talent as well. The ability to push yourself to limits that others aren't willing to go to, and that takes an incredible mindset. And uh, that can be really, really successful on the endurance end.
0: Okay, so, Coach, let's say... We've got swimmers out there listening, me being one little swimmer, and I let's say we have a mile coming up, and I come up to you and I say, Coach, I'm oh, I'm so scared of that last 500. I, You know, I, I swim right on the edge of my threshold, and I'm just in pain, and I just, what should I be thinking about in that last 500?
1: Well, I think, too, I think some of it's based on race strategy. Uh, we, we talk a whole lot, or I talk a whole lot with, with my athletes about race strategy and, and, and when to make moves and how to do that, and then... Again, I think that if you've done the work, if you've been consistently strong in practice, you're embracing the ideas, doing the training that's asked, I think we work on a daily basis to live in the uncomfortable. So getting your mind to understand what the uncomfortable feels like and learning that you can get through that. You know, a lot of swimmers will say, you know, oh man, I died at the end of the race. We've heard that. Oh man, it was so painful. I died. Then you go back and look at splits and you're like, well... You got tired, but you were within two or three tenths every 50 from start to finish. That's not dying. That's just maybe that's what it's supposed to feel like when you swim fast. So that's
0: that's a great point. Yes. Yes.
1: So so I think it's being willing to live in that uncomfortable place. And I think you get there by training in a certain way each and every day to learn how to deal with that. Uh, to learn how to mentally handle that, learn that, hey, you may be uncomfortable, but you can swim through it. Or, hey, this didn't feel good, but man, look at the performance, look at the outcome in terms of time or the way you swam the set. So I think it's getting individuals to learn that, hey, I go through this every day. So when I'm up there behind the blocks and I'm swimming that back 500, well, I've done this on a regular basis. So I know it's supposed to feel like this and I know how to, how to, overcome that and uh, keep my mind focused on the important things like race strategy or turns or who I'm racing against. I would say the, the unique piece in endurance swimming, certainly if you're doing a mile, you can have a great race and be way out in front or way behind and you're kind of all by yourself. So it really becomes mental. And I think that's a different aspect in endurance swimming that sometimes you don't see in the other races. So I think there's a lot to be said for training that aspect on, a, on, a, on almost a daily basis and learning to overcome that. So when you're out there and you're competing, it's, hey, I've done this. I know how to do this. Here are the things I need to focus on. And it's going to be uncomfortable. But if I'm living in the uncomfortable, I could be performing really, really well.
0: Gosh, Carrie, I'm so grateful I got to pick your brain on this. I know (laughs) we're going to hit other subjects, but I couldn't sit down with you as a fellow, you know, as a distance swimmer and not go there because, I, you know, at NC State, you coached a ton of successful events, other, you know, middle distance and 200s and 400s and all that. But I know, you. you know, Anton winning that mile and Hannah going crazy in her mile and just, just that really puts it in perspective. I love that. Give me your thoughts on... The difference in coaching men and women?
1: Hmm, man, there's, uh, I've really enjoyed coaching women over the years because I think there's a different, I think between the two, there's a different relationship. You know, that's a little bit stereotypical to say. At the same time, I find that, you know, men, it's, hey, get, you know, laughter, humor, let's have some fun, let's work hard, rah, 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 let's run through a wall, I think the majority of men out there are, are will, you know, grasp and understand that, and uh, they, they love the camaraderie, the brotherhood of it. I think on the women's side, it's very different. I think the relationship between the coach and the athlete is really important, knowing that, uh, and I think both of this way. They, they, you can ask them to do hard things when they know that there's a purpose behind it, and they know that you care, that you're, you're asking them. To do hard things because you believe in them and you 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 know that it's going to allow them to become successful in the future, but but I do think women even more so really value that relationship, you know with with the coach getting to know them as people is really really important and knowing that knowing that they have value uh, within the group or the program I think goes a long way I think sometimes. You know, again, it gets a little bit stereotypical when I say this, but I think sometimes women look solely at outcome and performance. Okay, well, I was fifth in this race, and those other four women are better, so therefore I'm not valuable to the program. And many times that can't be further from the truth, who you are as a student, who you are on the pool deck, uh, your work ethic in the pool. it's, It's not always about the outcome who are you as a person and, and finding values in each and every athlete. But I certainly think that there is, there is some crossover, but, but they're also vastly different. And even with each gender, there, there are a lot of different personalities. So what works for, you know, five or six guys may not work for three or four more. What works with seven or eight women may not work for the other two or three. And that's, that's the art and kind of the, the, and, and very much the art of coaching and, a combined program. Absolutely. And
0: what do you think the advantages of a combined program are?
1: I think that if you can get the two to work together, uh, the family's bigger, the family's stronger. I think that um, you know I always say that oh, well, I want. I think we have great teammates in the pool. I'd like to think we're a better family outside of it. I think it's just a bigger um, support mechanism uh, for both the men and the women, and and ultimately. I think when you have a combined program and and the coaches are on board for both, I think that there's a, a camaraderie built between the two teams and they really genuinely love and care about each other and want each other to be successful. I think at times, and this isn't the same for everybody, but sometimes when you have two separate programs, two separate staffs, there can sometimes be some animosity or, hey, we're better than them or we're better than them or we deserve this or we deserve that. And. Uh, you know for me again, it's um, it's all about coming together um, and being selfless and all in for the family. So uh, developing that that family atmosphere and and uh, treating each other as as brothers and sisters um, I think goes a lot further.
0: I love it. So you've been around the sport for you know first you swam in college, so it was even longer mm-hmm. than twenty years and you've coached for twenty years. What changes have you seen in the sport? There have been so many, uh, but like changes that you've seen in the sport that you think have had the most impact?
1: Man, that that's actually a really good question. I, I think some of the things that come to mind, I, I think obviously the athletes of today and even the coaches of today are very different from what we were 15, 20, 25 okay. years ago. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, number one, we're 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 doing a podcast. We didn't have this 20 right. years ago. Yeah. So you have phones and computers, and I think the real positive in that is everything is shared. There's not a whole lot of. I, I think there are secrets out there. Uh, I think they're few and far between. I think coaches are more open about what they're doing on on a on a regular basis, and and the idea of sharing workouts or. Sharing this or that about their programs and their athletes. I think that's changed. So it's, it's harder to find things that you just haven't seen before. And that, that's also really cool because you can pick other people's brains and see what's going on, whether it be, you know, for us in the, in the state of Alabama or what's going on in California or in Europe and, and elsewhere. So I think that's, that's unique to this generation. And I think that's very different from 20, 25 years ago. I also think that, you know, constantly being on and engaged through computers or phones, I think that's changed the culture of this current athlete, and I think we have to coach them, speak to them, communicate differently. You know, I I think that's um, certainly changed the sport. And then, you know, look, I mean, kind of the biggest changes we've seen outside of that, you know, physically would be all the different types of equipment You've got things now that, you know, we couldn't have dreamed about 30 years ago or somebody was making equipment in their backyard and using <laughs> it at a pool. But we've got so many things at our disposal, whether it be, you know, outside the water in terms of video, it be equipment in the pool, different ways to do things. I think that's that's unique to where we are in 2019. I think beyond that, the suits have changed Uh, Things The suits that they're using now to me are very different from what we were using 20, 30, 40 years ago. I think the biggest difference for me 20 years, 15, 20 years has been recovery tools. Again, we we talked about tools in and out of the pool, you know, the Norma tech or the cold tub or massage therapy. I mean, these are things that nutrition. Um, you know, the. the uh, Even the hydration. Rule. Exactly. We, you hydration. and I used to
0: swim 10,000 and not take a drink, right? Ab-
1: absolutely. Not nourish yourself. So the, the, the amount of information that is open to coaches and athletes is just vast. And, and recovery has become a buzzword, but a very accurate buzzword in that the ability to get back to your 10 out of 10 on a regular basis is going to allow you to train at a higher level more consistently and that's important you know I think little things in the pool the the starting wedge the starting wedge. uh there's been some changes within turns and underwaters and whatnot but you know I mean look 25 years ago until now underwaters are when you actually watch the racing some of the biggest changes in the pool are what we're doing underwater this day and age so there's a number of things you know for the most they've made our sport better more exciting uh, more opportunities, more outside-the-box uh, potential from that standpoint. And just the sharing of information is vastly different now than it was maybe even five or ten years ago.
0: Great answer, Carrie. I love it. You said some things there that I hadn't heard
1: before, and I really, good, really good. like that. Yeah. Every now and again.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Um, on an innovative uh, theme here, what are your thoughts on the International Swim League and pro swimming?
1: Yeah. I mean, anything to grow our sport. I mean, uh, you know, I I think any press is good press. And and so I think there are some people that, that feel like this is not a positive and there's others that do. And, And I think watching what's transpired in terms of the energy, the excitement on the pool deck, getting some of the fastest swimmers, not only in our country, but across the world together competing has been awesome for the sport. And, and, and any way to I think continue to support the sport, allow more people to, to see it on a not only in a, a national but international stage is you know incredibly important. And and so the idea of maybe earning money in the future we'll we'll see where this goes. But the idea of our athletes in swimming, earning money and um, getting greater exposure, hey, why not? I'm all for it.
0: Well, all right. So the last question is what have we not covered that you might want to share with our listeners?
1: Oh man, I, I think we we've covered a whole lot here. I think you know, in terms of of uh, my experience, uh, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to be the head coach at Auburn University. I get I get an opportunity every day to work at the best uh, university in the country, and there are so many unique qualities to Auburn and, and what it offers. I think from a swimming standpoint, part of the allure for me was just the championship history, the championship mindset. This is where we should be. This is where we want to be. I've got uh, I, I've, my predecessors. When you when you go through Brett Hawk and, and uh, David Marsh and John Asmuth and, and uh, Eddie Reese, uh, Richard Quick, uh, those are some of the best that any coach could ever follow. And uh, to be able to walk that deck on a, on a daily basis means a whole lot to me. And, and it's u- unique, uh, certainly unique. You walk in, you see the championship banners and trophies, the history every day. Uh, it, it's pretty awesome to know that, that you're really a part of that. And uh, uh, you, you're a part of the, um, just that, that swimming and diving family. That's, that's where we want to get back to. And the bar has been set really high. I think in terms of Auburn itself, uh, beautiful campus. Uh, the most unique part to Auburn is, is Auburn. And they talk about the Auburn family. And nothing uh, speaks to the Auburn family more than than a, a comment I, I recently received from from one of our alumni. And you know, he had mentioned he coaches elsewhere, and he had mentioned uh, you know, in at, at our university, we use the the so and so family, and you're a part of our family. And he basically looked me dead dead straight in the eye and said, you know, I don't I don't use any of that. He's like, I, I, where we are, what they're embracing isn't. That's not necessarily family to me. He said, he looked at me and he said, unless you've been a part of the Auburn family, you have no idea what family means. And that was as powerful a statement as I've, as I've received, uh, since taking the position in Auburn. But it's very true. People, people love Auburn. They love the community. They love the university and it's all aspects, academics, town, campus, athletics. Um, your pool so it's passionate. yes beautiful. absolutely thank you thank <laughs> yeah. you it's oh my uh gosh
0: it's gorgeous it,
1: it is uh it's outstanding so we're uh i'm very blessed and uh, i saw
0: you posted a picture of sunrise over your was that sunrise yes, that was yes. just a red sky yes over the pool so we're
1: uh we're, we're extremely fortunate you know okay, the, Gary, the ability I, to coach in and out it's awesome yeah
0: inside and outside pool so What is the difference between a war eagle and a tiger? I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I didn't get that research.
1: Yes. So our mascot, we are the Auburn Tigers. The battle cry is war eagle. So you're an NC State alum. So Wolf Pack would be the nickname, uh, the mascot. And people there say, go pack.
2: At Auburn, they
1: say war eagle. And there's a story behind that. The most famous of which at the end of a civil war battle, uh, there was a young uh, Auburn student who was laying on the field uh, at the end of the battle, and you know he, he'd gone to school at Auburn, and, and he was fighting in the war, and he woke up to find a lot of his uh, his brothers passed on the ground, and, and uh, he looked nearby, and there was a young eagle uh, that was also injured, and uh, this this young man picked the eagle up, nursed the eagle back to health, and the eagle was with him for. A number of decades, and in 1892, Auburn and Georgia played the first football game in the Deep South. And this gentleman, at this point, this this uh, officer, showed up to the football game with the eagle uh, by his side. And during the game, the eagle flew overhead around the field, and uh, Auburn was victorious. And at the end of the game, you know, throughout, people were pointing and saying, "War eagle, war eagle." And at the end of the game, rumor has it, or one of the rumors, is that the crowd let out such a cheer at the end of the game uh, that the that the Eagle actually had a heart attack and landed at the middle of the field. So that that's kind of been a very symbolic, uh, that's very symbolic of Auburn, and, and people have used War Eagle for a number of years, generations now, so... Uh, that that's the idea. So, War Eagle is more of a battle cry than it is a mascot. We are not the War Eagles. We are not eagles. Uh, you are we the are the Tigers, tigers absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But our battle cry is War Eagle.
0: That's really cool. I can't believe I've been friends with Rowdy Gaines for this many years and he's never told me that story. But <laughs> yes, I guess I've never asked him. That's cool. Yeah. And when what a what a history of just having somebody like Rowdy Gaines. Absolutely. Having, you know, he's he's probably. The most decorated swimmer ever to come out of
1: Auburn, he is, right? We, well, and and we've been fortunate from that end too. When you talk about, uh, you, you talk about the coaches and championship history from that aspect. I mean, when you think about the swimmers that have that have come through Auburn and and competed and performed at the conference, the NCAA level, the international level, the Olympic level. Um, you know, I, I think our program is is right up there with the, the the absolute best and and all of collegiate swimming and and obviously Rowdy, you know, persevered, um, you know, throughout his time. All those American athletes that were left out of '80, he comes back in '84 and, and wins gold medals. And you know, he continues to be one of the biggest supporters of Auburn swimming and diving. And you know, I mean, we we've been fortunate in Auburn. We've got you know you've got Charles Barkley and Frank Thomas and Bo Jackson and Cam Newton and you know Rowdy Gaines name is right up there with with those men from our from an athletic standpoint so uh, and 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 uh, you know certainly he's he's one of our Olympic gold medalists and and certainly on a pedestal and uh, we're very fortunate to have the ability to to get people like this back to our campus and just um, and the
0: greatest diplomat for swimming. Absolutely, in, in just the
1: sport itself. I don't. I don't know if there's a bigger fan of of swimming in general, more so than than Rowdy Gaines, and and he's a fan of Auburn swimming and diving. He is an incredibly passionate fan of just swimming in general, yes. and we're really blessed, really really blessed to call him one of our own.
0: Yeah, very very cool, very cool. All right, well, those are all the hard questions. Now come the fun ones. Just a quick, it's called the sprinter round, which Let's I know you can do. Let's do it. Technical suits. Fast. (laughs) Fast. I love it. The fifth stroke.
1: Underwaters. Kick in general.
0: Okay. Backstroke starting ledges. I
1: like old school.
0: I love it. International Swim League.
1: Exciting. Tremendous opportunity.
0: Michael Phelps.
1: The man we all... Look up to, from a performance standpoint, the one that sets the bar for everybody else that comes after him.
0: Katie Ledecky.
1: Very similar to Michael. Uh, Out of this world. Incredible. Um, Can't say enough about um, what she's done for our sport. Great diplomat.
0: Tokyo 2020.
1: Within a year, incredibly excited.
0: And the last one of the one words, Auburn swimming and diving. Fun fast future oh i love it the three f's okay now th- this is just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more on a personal level not too deep but cat or dog for you gary
1: Ooh, well we're the auburn tigers so i'm gonna have to go with the cat piece there.
0: <laughs> i love it camping or hotel
1: hotel milk
0: chocolate or dark chocolate
1: Tough one, but I love chocolate milk, and that's typically milk chocolate.
0: Yeah, it is. Kickboard or no kickboard?
1: That's a tough one. Uh, I would say benefits to both, but I'd lean towards using a kickboard.
0: Mountains or beach? Beach. Football or baseball? Football. iPhone or Android?
1: iPhone, because that's what I use.
0: Yeah. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Morning person or a night owl?
1: Probably more so morning person.
0: Texting or talking? Talking. Okay, that's it. Those are the those are the easy questions. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. A lot of fun. Good luck to you this season. Thank
1: you very much, Kelly. Appreciate it.
3: So, Maria, what do you think of that interview? I understand why they hired Gary at Auburn. He's amazing. He's got his coaching philosophy down, and he's lived his coaching philosophy. So I'm really excited to talk about our takeaways.
0: Takeaways, takeaways, takeaways. We've heard from you that your favorite section of our podcast is the takeaways. Thank you so much for that feedback. But before we get to the takeaways today, we wanted to ask you if you would please give us a five star review. That way more people will be able to find our podcast also. If you could subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, you'll never miss a podcast episode if you subscribe. And please share our podcast with your friends. And now, the takeaways.
3: What's your first one? Well, I, I think, as we talked about in the introduction, championship character. This is a guy who actually has championship character. He's He laid the groundwork by being patient and and doing all the things that he needed to do before he got this opportunity at Auburn. Um, and I like how he talked about creating a culture that encourages championship character. And, and and a lot of what he said, or part of what he said was, you know, basically complaining and thinking about the hard things in your life is okay, but you just have to, in his culture, he's he's helping his athletes understand that even when things are hard and even when we're uncomfortable, we have to keep on coming in and giving, you know, our, our, our 100%. Um, and, and he talked about, I love this concept of living in the uncomfortable that, you know, we, when we, when we train, when we get through difficult things without complaining, we're getting used to living in the uncomfortable so that then when we have to perform, no matter what happens, we are, we have the ability to say, Hey, I've been there before. I've I've lived in the uncomfortable. So he had a lot of really good phrases and, and concepts that, that really helped me understand this concept of championship character. I thought that was terrific.
0: I know you really related to this interview because you love the, you don't love it, but you do well in pushing through discomfort. You're like, if there's a challenge that's Somebody has to be uncomfortable
3: if it's raining and it's cold and we're grinding, you love that and yeah, I think that's sort of an endurance athlete's mindset, but yeah, I it's my superpower it's your superpower <laughs> yeah, I love that and so basically, I see Gary Taylor
0: as this the Yoda, the guru of getting people to that superpower. he yes. really has it down in. And what did we say? He he has walked his talk. That's right, which I love. Like his own preparation, 19 years of coaching experience before he took over at Auburn. And, you know, that's a patient man. That's somebody just doing the right things every day. So, yeah, I love your first takeaway. My first takeaway was is I asked him right up front, hey, there's a lot of pressure on you, Gary. You know, you're taking over this program that's one multiple NCAA titles and you know he could have had a lot of jobs mm. like I said in the in the intro but he chose to take the Auburn job and I loved love love how one can deal with pressure and he answered that his way that he deals with it is hey I love testing myself against the best mm. so you know what other job could you take where you're really going to be tested can I get my team to win an NCAA title, and so I just that that was a, a huge takeaway for me was testing yourself against the best. You know, when when you're going up in in anything, like okay, there's going to be some pressure here, but I'm testing myself against the best. Um, he said even on a daily basis, and and that, again, living in the uncomfortable, right. testing his boundaries. Right. So this is a boundary. You know, he's he's you know he helped NC State get the programs into the top four um now can he take another program in, into the the top one so i i just that was what i really liked that that he liked
3: to to test himself so yeah I, I like that concept too i think we can be afraid to put ourselves you know against the best and so i i, I think that's a a character of a champion somebody who's willing to say okay you know, this is, this person or this, this program is the very best or was the very best. You no, know, you know, I want to see, you know, how, how is that, how do I stand up against that? What's my, what's my medal? I think that's, I think he's, he is a champion. Um, yeah.
0: Me. And one of my, you know, favorite, it's, it's a very common saying, but I, I feel it's really a powerful little tool to use is like, you know, shoot for the stars, you might land on the moon. So even, you know when one has a huge goal that they're going for mm-hmm. they may not hit that goal but boy you're going to end up somewhere among the stars and i i love that i always say this but the top batters in the major league hit hit 3 times out of 10 so right. 7 times they're striking out so right. you just i think if you just go for it in a big way that you're going to have something good come out of it so i mm. I, I just love that testing testing your boundaries and testing yourself. So what, what about your second takeaway, Maria?
3: Yeah. The second takeaway was something that he just mentioned at the end, but it really spoke to me. He talked about, we were, you were asking about the, how swimming has changed. And he said, one of the things we've learned about is tools for recovery. You I mean, he talked about massage and rest and, um, ice and all the things that make you better. And it reminded me again, and I think this is this isn't really a new concept, but recovery is so important. It's so we we talk about you. You do not get better when you're working out hard. You get better when you're recovering from that workout. So you test yourself. You go hard. You endure the discomfort, and then you have to rest. And I think this really, in my own life, this I'm, I'm right now. I'm I'm starting to train for an event that's coming up in February and i have to remind myself that i mean i would like to just put my nose to the grindstone and just kind of plod away but i have to remind myself especially as i age that the recovery is more important or just as important as the hard workout so i have to alternate that and i think you can also this is also important in the rest of our lives we can't we can't do hard work all the time and be effective and grow we have to do hard work, concentrated hard work, and then we have to rest. We have to have recovery from that. So not a new idea, but sort of a, a reminder, again, that, you know, it's the alternating theory of, of success yeah. and happiness. You, you you work hard, you recover. You work hard physically, you recover. You work hard mentally, you recover. And that's what makes you better.
0: Yes, and I, I totally obvious it's obvious in sports that yeah. there are recovery days and there're tapers and there're, you know, recovery techniques and ice baths and massages and all that. And I think in, you know, really working hard as a as a businesswoman and having spent some grueling hours working to build businesses in different avenues of my life, just recently, you know, I've done this and other things, but there are just times in a workspace where you might need a week of just cranking out whatever it is, you know, you're, you're building your business and then you realize you need a week of rest mm-hmm. to recover from that. So I think, I think that's a really great one that, yeah, that it, recovery it, is it's super important. Yeah. If, you, if
3: you're recovering, that allows you to do what Seth Gunn calls the sprints, you know, where you just can focus and work really hard and then you, then you know that a recovery is out there. So yeah. What was your, what was your final takeaway?
0: Um, my final takeaway was one we have we've talked with a lot of these top coaches about, which some are on one side of the fence and some are on other. And the question is, and the takeaway for me is, can confidence be created? In and I think this is again another great for athletics or in life. And I Gary thinks that it definitely can be created. So, and I I love he says that it's confidence is hugely important. Some people call it swag or just, you know, that ability when you're standing up to do a task, do you think you're going to be you can do it. successful in it? So I think it, he thinks it's hugely important. I agree with him. I, you know, I I think prior to these takeaways, you and I always do some planning, and I love a little story that we told Um that, you know, as a coach, obviously, one of the reasons we do this podcast is to encourage people. But as a former coach, it's just kind of innately natural in me to encourage people. Yes. And so I recently met up with a very, very good friend and fellow athlete. But when I met this person, Um, and Nancy is her name and she's just been a a big part of my life. And she was a master swimmer, but really just did master swimming for fitness. Just not, not a competitive master swimmer, never even did competitive master swimmer and not a competitor. And we started training together and you know, one thing led to another being my training partner. I was always encouraging her and I saw this huge ability, her, her natural ability. I'm like, You know, Nancy, if you'd ever started in a competitive program, you probably would have been, you know, on our Olympic team or our national team and many, she's a runner, swimmer. So we started doing triathlons together. Long story short, she ends up winning a gold medal in the world championships for aquathlon, which is swimming and running. So it's a, I think that particular one was like a 5k run, a one mile swim and a 5k run. And she was the world champion after just, you know, training very, you know, training hard, but. You know, being a fitness person, so I had not seen Nancy in person for many years, and we happened to have a great reunion, and uh, at a Starbucks, and we sat there and chatted. And she said, "You know, I when I look back on our friendship, she said one of the things that I most got out of it was the confidence that you gave me. I just I would never have believed that I would have done those things athletically, but you believed in me, and I and I think." Um, and then you told me, yeah, Kelly, well, you did that for me. And, yeah, you know.
3: I, 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 you know, the story that I tell is that you called me an athlete. You were the first person who yeah. ever called me an athlete. And we've talked <laughs> about that before. But, but, but you know, the, but it doesn't, confidence, it's not like you can give somebody confidence, but you can uncover confidence by encouraging them and giving them the right tools for looking inside themselves and seeing how other people see them. and so yeah i mean i i completely agree with that and we when we were talking about this a minute ago we also talked about you just never know what what some how some encouragement is going to change someone your encouragement changed my life it changed the trajectory of my life for better and i hope that other things that i've said and done with you know my family and people i've known have have changed their trajectory of their lives. So I, so this idea of, can we help, can we grow confidence? Is absolutely. I, I, I love that idea. I think that a lot of people have it sort of inborn confidence, maybe that, or maybe they have a great family, but, um, but yeah, we can help each other be more confident by encouraging one another.
0: Yeah. I, that was one of my favorite things that Gary said that he's on the side of the fence and says, yeah, you can create confidence. So, so I love that. And I, I love the whole interview. I think, um, there was, you and I said, way more way more than two things we could have each taken right. out of there but we don't want to just recreate the interview we right. just want to give our main takeaways so it was a real pleasure to spend that time with gary i can't wait to watch his program build and um this episode is coming out right in the peak of the ncaa season so it's going to be really fun to see what they do at yeah. conference and ncaa's yeah this is a great interview thanks thanks maria love you love you bye bye
2: this week's quote of the week comes from gary taylor I play a role in helping build confidence and teaching that the impossible is possible. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also visit championsmojo.com to learn more.